0: I wanted to read a couple of passages, today? we're going to read just a few verses from Matthew 21 and also from John 12. These are two of the scriptures that tell us about the triumphant entry, uh, and the thing we call Palm Sunday, we remember this thing, but <clears throat> as we focus on that today, I want us to focus just on... I mean, what we have the benefit of, of living in and learning from because of history. I think when we come to things like holidays like Christmas or Easter, it's easy for us to kind of just think that oh cool this is the first Christmas and that's and we read about it you know like oh look, that's so sweet but we don't often think about what would it have been like for those shepherds for the next 30 years to have this report that they believed and they've gone out telling everybody and then they don't see anything happening that lines up with what they saw in the, in the fields, right? They hear this great announcement, and they think, after 25 years, they're like, man, I kind of thought something would have happened by now. Does that make sense to you guys who tracking with me? I'm trying to jump in because that was so beautiful, and I want us to continue on in the beginning of worship. The same thing is true when we think about Holy Week, when we think about the passion of Jesus. When we read about Palm Sunday, we think, oh, Palm Sunday happened the week before Easter, But for the people who were present, they didn't know the resurrection was coming. In fact, uh, they didn't know the crucifixion was coming. And so we have the advantage of looking back and seeing through a lens of history. But I think this is important this morning because as we read uh, these two passages, and as we finish with one uh, verse from Paul this morning, I think it's important that we just don't assume kind of be ending before we really allow ourselves to become a part of what was happening in that moment. Because in both of these passages, and there's also more in Mark if you want to read it, so if you want to write this down, there's some stuff in Mark 11 that would also speak about uh, this time frame. And then Psalm 118 is really, I wish we had hours we could just break down all the beauty of Psalm 118 and all the imagery that we find Psalm 118 speaking to this uh, week that took place between Uh, the triumphal entry, and the resurrection. is so beautiful. So if that's something, if you're looking for something this week to engage in in the word, I'd really encourage you, read Psalm 118 and and allow that to settle in your heart a little bit because this stone that the builders rejected has indeed become the chief cornerstone and he is the cornerstone of our life. And whenever that was spoken about back uh, in the psalm, uh, what a beautiful thing to, to picture what's happening. So As we get ready to read this, let's just kind of think about the things that we don't know yet. Okay, We don't know that Jesus is going to be crucified uh, later in the week. We don't know that he's going to rise again. And and In fact, and we talk about this sometimes, let me just remind you of it. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his... We immediately picture the, the cross that we have as a Christian symbol. But for Jesus, whenever he called his disciples to do that, that imagery was only an imagery of punishment and death the call to take up your electric chair and follow me did not have some special Christian meaning. Does that make sense? And so this thing that's happening, if we allow ourselves to kind of witness what's taking place in these passages, is important because there's, in both of these places, there's a response from people around at what was taking place. So let's look at Matthew chapter 21. And I'm going to read starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly "'Sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. "'So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, "'and they brought the donkey and colt "'and laid their clothes on them. "'And he sat on them. "'And a very great multitude spread their clothes "'on the road. "'Others cut down branches from the trees "'and spread them on the road. "'Then the multitudes who went before "'and those who followed cried out, saying, "'Hosanna to the Son of David! "'Blessed is he who comes!' In the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is a very simple story. It's not one of those things we could go to a different passage and find a whole lot of different information. It's a very simple story that's repeated three times in Matthew, Mark, and John. But we see here this sense of there is a place of prophetic fulfillment that's taking place. These things were talked about. This is one of those things that I think it's in the book of Mark. It says there's things that happened that the disciples didn't understand until after he had gone away from them. And then they recognized, oh, this is why that happened. But he, it says when he came into Jerusalem, when he came into that gate, something happened. So let's just take just a quick second. And describe together, how would you describe Palm Sunday to an eight year old who's like, What's Palm Sunday? How would you describe it? What words would you use to tell us this story that we just read? Speak out loud, okay? I would describe it as like,
1: this is Jesus coming back into Jerusalem, and the entire city is just. Like giving in yeah, all. He's doing the, what is prepared for the king.
0: Wow.
1: Okay, so he's coming in as a king. And they're come quickly. Jesus, now,
0: Lord, now. Okay, so we have this idea of a king coming in, and what would we say makes it feel like there's a king coming? What did the people do that made it feel that way? They laid their garments on the road before, they laid their garments on the road before them. They cut branches and put them on the ground. What does that represent to you? I think of flowers being spread before the bride. Flowers being spread before the bride. Use like of humility. Anything else? Red carpet. The red, rolling out the red carpet. There's royal treatment that's being given. Preparing the way. A celebration of prophecy being fulfilled, and, and there was an element of that, because again, I know, we know in the Psalms, there's a very specific place where it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and earlier in the Gospels, it says, uh, you'll not see them again until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, so this is a moment that maybe everyone doesn't understand the complete uh, fulfillment of this place, but there is a sense that this is not something that happens every day. We don't throw a parade for a king every day. So there's the humility of the people honoring the king, but what do we see that the scripture says is humble about the way that Jesus came in? Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. That is not what kings usually ride in on, is it? But he did it so the prophecy would be fulfilled. Have you ever pictured that moment? Does it it feel like it was probably like three people around the fire with an acoustic guitar? Or I feel like it was probably like the whole streets were filled. And everybody, right? So, this was one of those moments. It was not a quiet thing. This was a big demonstration and declaration. We know that because we have the ability to keep reading, this wouldn't be the only big gathering to happen in the streets of Jerusalem that week. What else is going on this week as Jesus comes in? What are they get ready to celebrate? Passover. Passover is coming. And at this particular Passover, the Lamb is going to be slain. So there's another gathering just a few days later, not far from where this is taking place, where people are gathered together in the streets, again, crying out. But instead of saying Hosanna this time, they're going to say, crucify. And isn't it crazy that how in our lives... We can have these moments where we're like, Hosanna. And then we have moments, maybe you didn't say crucify him, but have you, anybody else this week ever have a moment this week that felt really opposite of maybe what you were sensing in worship this morning? And maybe what you were saying to the Lord is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you accused the Lord? Have you ever had that space where there's nothing the like you don't see him rightly? And yet in His grace, He keeps coming to us. In His goodness, He doesn't allow the fact that sometimes we see Him rightly and sometimes we don't to disqualify us to relate to Him. He is faithful and He is true. And I think that when I look into your eyes, I believe that you want to grow to see Him rightly always. But isn't it good that whenever we have those moments where we misunderstand Him and we miss the moment of seeing His royalty, of seeing His humility, that He doesn't break covenant with us and He doesn't leave us? In fact, He does the opposite. His constant presence in the midst of of, of us kind of pushing Him away is a love that Jesus tells us about, and the New Testament tells us, He's not going to leave us, He's not going to forsake us. And that's beautiful. Last thing from this passage, and we'll flip over to John. What was the response to the city, of the city, whenever they heard the, 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 the Jewish people crying out, Hosanna, what, what, says, what does it say happened in the city? They said, who is this? They said, who is this? And it says the whole city was moved. And there's something about when we see Jesus rightly and we proclaim him rightly, there is something that takes place, not only for us, but for the people around us. Now because, because of this time, there were not just the normal people in Jerusalem, people were beginning to come in by the end of the week, like this is one of the pilgrimages, our pilgrimage uh, holidays where people begin to come in and there'd be people from all over the place in Jerusalem. The Jewish people would gather for Passover. But it says in verse 10 that when he came into the city, Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? There should be a place around us when we live our lives proclaiming his kingship, live our life proclaiming his lordship. There's a natural response where people say, who is this? Who is it you're talking about? Let's look at John 12 and we'll see this uh, revealed in a different way with, I think, maybe some different people or some more specific people. John 12, again, this is not a really long passage, you don't get a lot of uh, elaborate details, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, who had found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, for behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand those things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had been done, or they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The whole world is gone after him. Let's keep reading just a couple more verses. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to the worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What would it look like in our lives if the rightly seeing of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The way that we proclaim and demonstrate our commitment to Jesus as the king. He is a lowly king. Oh, no. Katie and I were praying one day earlier this week, and one of the things that I was um, drawn to is Psalm 16, I set you always before me. And, and while we were just praying and kind of like in this place of, be quiet. One of the things that came up in my heart is here, it's only in Jesus that I can understand what it means to be desperate for him, and also be at rest. Desperate for him doesn't feel like rest. Desperate for, when I think about it in my own self, I don't know how to be at rest and be desperate at the same time, but something about him in the same, in the same book of songs we say, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs straightened me and, as a lean child, quiet sits out on his mother's breast. My soul is going to relate to the more. I can be in a place of longing for him and also in a place of rest. I don't understand. But in Jesus, I'm invited into that. I love what Jesse was saying. We have an invitation not to walk in anxiety, but when we're anxious, we have an invitation of what to do. I love the scripture that says don't be weary and well-doing for you will be. But Jesus says when you are weary, come to me. I'll give you rest. So for those of you who are tired, I told you not to be tired. That's not very encouraging. Don't, don't get weary. But when you're weary, come to me. Isn't that beautiful? Don't be anxious for nothing. But cast all of your anxiety on me. Only in Jesus can we have a place where I receive this instruction for Him not to live a life under the load and what to do when I find myself under the load. Does that make sense? And Jesus heard the crowds crying, Hosanna! They heard the prayer that those people would have been able to understand. Save us, deliver us now. Please, we pray. And he stayed well. And he stayed low. And he didn't lose his spirit. And in both of these passages of Matthew and John, as that took place, there was a hunger for people to see who Jesus was. The whole world has gone after him. I remember he we used Michael and Anna come stand up here before they get married, and now there's a little beautiful girl We're gonna wrap up here in just a second. I want to tell you a quick story that um, is a long, it's a long story, but I want to tell you just a quick part of it. Whenever Adrian and I were in North Carolina shortly after we were married, a couple of girls came to Jesus. One of them was a middle school girl, and she had been, you know, had had a lot of uh, friends who uh, would party with her. And whenever Nikki came to Jesus, all of a sudden we had that whole middle school Uh, All those kids were coming to church and to our youth group, and we had, uh, we went from a youth group of like 5 to 75 in about 6 weeks, because people found out about it and came to Jesus. There was another girl named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth had been uh, also fighting addiction, and whenever she heard the gospel of Jesus, she decided she wanted to give her life to Jesus, and she started telling her friends too. And one of those friends that she told was this beautiful young lady who... Um, when she walked into the door, you know, people would gasp. She was just so beautiful. She was 15 years old when we met her. And she gave her life to Jesus. And at that point in time, Adrian and I are still very early, not really knowing anything about discipleship other than the fact that Jesus had made disciples. And so we're trying to figure out how. And so we had these little booklets. And so Adrian was working a full time job. And she had a group of uh, middle school girls she met with and a group of senior high girls that she met with. And we tried to walk these people through these little booklets. And she had like five girls she was walking with. I had like eight guys I was trying to disciple. And I'll just be really honest, like we didn't really know what we were doing. And sadly, the messiness of that situation, at one point in time, the church just decided this is too much. They just shut everything down. We had all these kids who had come and had an encounter with Jesus, and then they kind of found themselves displaced. And many of them, for years, had just not identified at all following Jesus. But we got a call. Actually, we saw on Facebook from about a year ago that one of those girls, the one who was this beautiful 15-year-old girl, she had given her life back to Jesus. And so we've been kind of watching and interacting a little bit on, on social media. But she messaged me yesterday. She said, can we talk? And she called me. And this is what she said. She's like, I don't really remember everything that happened way back then, but I do want you to know that a year ago, after going to everything the world can go to to try to find what would fill the inside of my life, and she was she'd become a yoga instructor and was teaching people about uh, Hindu, Hinduism, and she was had all these different she had 108 mantras she prayed every morning. She was really into it. She had an encounter. With Jesus. Jesus came to her in a dream. And Jesus showed her. And he said, Cynthia, this is not the way. All of these things are not the way. And Cynthia told me yesterday, she said, everything my heart has ever longed for, I found in Jesus that moment. And I got up and I threw everything away. And she's now a part of a small group. She said, whenever I started going to church, I, I wanted to start a small group because I knew so many people that I had led them down a path to nothing. I was leading them into a path through uh, all these meditations that was not going to lead them. And I wanted to start a small group. And someone said, have you ever been in a small group? And she said, no. They said, well, you should come to a small group first before you try to start one. And so she said, so I got into a small group, and we're going over these eight foundational things. And one of them is your purpose. And some of these people in this group, they know their purpose. They know exactly why they are on the planet. And she said, oh, I can think that I just want to know Jesus I just want to know God and I want to help other people know Him because He has changed my life. Yes. Sirs, we would see Jesus. And the fact is there are many people who are able to witness Him riding in on a donkey, but they missed the encounter that changed their lives forever. And I don't want to have a, a little bit of the gospel that we present to people say, hey, this is how you can have a relationship with God so you don't go to hell when you die. But we haven't actually led people to encounter and live their lives following and walking with the one who is worthy. Yeah. There's thousands of gods, but there's only one God who can give us life. Amen. He is the God of God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is truth. He is peace. He is light. And if you would go on and you would continue to read in in John chapter 12, you would see one of the things that bleeds over from Psalm 118 is Jesus talks to us about the light that we have in him. The light that we have in him. And he is telling them, hey, you won't always have light. So make sure that you know the light when when you have access to the light. We have light, and I'm not even going to read it this morning, I'm just going to quote it, but we have been given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where at? In the face of Jesus. In the face of Christ. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, and just look at what happens when we begin to orient our lives. Does that make sense to you? We live in a culture that's a, Christ, it's a post-Christian culture now, but we live in a culture that has been Christianized but so easily we can miss Christ. We, we can live in a culture with a thousand steeples and never get face to face with the one who has eyes of fire. And having all the right doctrines, but not having a relationship with Jesus that allows us to move from death to life, it's empty. And, and just like my friend... Who was hurt? She said, every time I tried to go back to church, I would get hurt and I would say, This is not worth it. But now I found Jesus. And I want to do I want to do whatever it takes so I never lose him again. I never want to lose the reality of his goodness and what he did when he appeared to me. I was weeping, as you can imagine. I was weeping because of the faithfulness of God. I want us to take just a, a, a minute now and pray, and then Katie's going to come and just share about some things as we go into this week. This is a week that we're going to have time to pray. Set aside to pray and to go and even just have a, a little bit of time as we transition into lunch about how we want to, to walk in a place of reorienting and refocusing our lives. But we can we take just a minute right now let's just pray. Let's just pray a moment. I believe in the new birth. I believe there is a time that we give our lives to Jesus. We welcome the gift of, of His uh, salvation and that we move by His power, by His strength from death to life. I believe in that. Please don't misunderstand me. But I do not believe what it means for us to, to be saved, To what it means for us to be born again was ever what it was about walking with Him. That's just the beginning just the and we are born again, and now we can see the King in the kingdom. Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. But the call to abide in Him, the call to walk with Him, the call, Paul says, to keep step for step with Him, that is the call that I want, I want to be, I want to be consumed by knowing Him. I told, I told Cynthia yesterday, I said, you don't need a purpose that's more than knowing Jesus. You will need a purpose that's more than, than knowing God and, and, and you allow other things to flow out of that. But that is the foundation of our life, right? Are we together? No. Like, I don't need some special thing if I can have that. If I can know Him and be consumed by His life and His love, that would be enough.
1: Amen.
0: And I believe that we move on into the specific reasons that God has put us on the planet when we build our lives on knowing Him. So let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you that, you know, even, I think sometimes I just confess that I lose the beauty of Palm Sunday because I realize that people turned on me. But you knew. Father, you knew the reaction that people would reject you before you even sent Jesus to come. And it didn't stop you. And so I just join with rejoicing at, at the fact that there was a day whenever you had established that there was something that you prophesied about when the king of kings would come in lowly riding on a donkey and the re- response from the crowd would be a cry of, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and today we join our voices with that crowd and we say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord but God I thank you that we get to live on this side of the cross we get to live inside of a covenant And God, I thank you for the message of salvation. I thank you for the new birth. But I pray that we would never be satisfied with the fact that we've been born again in a way that would allow us to live in complacency. Would you allow our hearts to live at rest, knowing that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you are a God who loves and won't relent. But God, may our hearts hunger and thirst For your righteousness. May we understand. The invitation to commune with you. That through. The broken body. And the spilled blood of Jesus. That we don't have to just check in with you. A couple times a week. But we can walk moment for moment. And step by step through you put a cry at us, God. And I pray that this week, I pray for the students who will be going home. God, I know that there's uh, people in our church who will be traveling. But God, I pray this week as we take time and set time aside that we would have a clear vision of who you are. And as we take time together and as individuals and as families, that you would meet us in these spaces. That you would meet us in these prayer stations. And then when we come through this time of resurrection, when we come through this time of passion. We would look back and see the seeds of your life and your kingdom that you've deposited in our hearts. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Katie, can you come share with us like this week? Good morning. Afternoon. Afternoon. Sorry. Um, so
2: during that prayer time that we're in that having earlier this week that you talked about, um, the Lord just reminded me of the parable of preparing a wedding feast and, you know, going and inviting people and they're not coming and just being like, okay, well, whoever will come, like, <laughs> come and enjoy the feast. And it was just specifically relating that to, like, prayer and worship and just, I felt like he was giving us the invitation to prepare a feast. I um, felt like he was giving it to Brad and I and to other worship leaders and whatnot but also just our community to like prepare a feast and maybe the people who want to come won't come and enjoy the feast but like let's go find the ones who are hungry and, and want to come and enjoy the feast and so I just wanted to share that to kind of share the heart behind why we're having the prayer room open this week um, and what our hope is for all of you is just to come enjoy the feast come sit at the table and feast with the Lamb of God Um, So, in that, (laughs) practically what that looks like and means, um, there will be some prayer stations set up around the hub this week. Um, Right now, today, we only have one set up that is focused on Palm Sunday, and then there are three more that will be joining tomorrow. Three more prayer stations, not people. Um, And then on Easter, we'll have like a specific prayer station activity that we'll do all together on Easter, that won't be set up until then. Uh, and to kind of give a little bit of explanation, I guess, I thought that prayer stations was like, you know, I grew up in the church, I'm a pastor's kid, that's like a very normal term to me, and I learned to someone that I thought it would be a normal term they like, what is a prayer station? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, like I thought everyone would know what that is. Um, it is quite literally just a Station like a space <laughs> to pray, but there's like a guided activity to pray, um, and so usually there's like a scripture. The ones that we're using are from Twenty Four Seven Prayer, based in the UK. They did some stuff for Holy Week, um, so there's like a little activity, some scriptures, a little bit of guidance um, on specifically usually for like contemplative prayer, more reflective prayer times. Uh, so this week, while the prayer room is open, those will be up. You are welcome to pray not through those prayer stations, and like, just come and pray and spend time with the Lord outside of that, but they are there to kind of help reflect specifically on Palm Sunday and all of the Holy Week events leading up to Easter. Um, and then today, we have our Palm Sunday prayer station up, which, if you notice, there's like a tree over there on the wall that's not usually there. Um, and Loretta is going to come up and explain that specific prayer station and then we're going to have some time of just quiet reflection where you can go over alone or with your family. Um, I wanted to mention that 24-7 prayer especially is very conscious of families and children and differing I don't know theological training and All of the prayer stations that they set up are intended to be able to be used by children and be easily understood by children. Um, So it's definitely something you can engage in as a family. Please engage in with your kids. If your kids can read, like Silas could probably do it all on his own. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the is going to explain the first one. Um, So the first one is just
1: like about Palm palm Sunday and like they call it the triumphant uh, entry. Um, So, before, I'm just going to read, like, the verse that goes with it. And it says, Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so over by the palm tree like what we want you guys to reflect on and like just simply what it says here is just like reflect on just like something you're thankful for and we already have some palm leaves like cut out for everyone to use or if you want and you want to get creative like there is paper there for you to cut your own leaves out and like Praise the Lord, like, through your craft, and that'll fall. (laughs) Um, But there's tape up there, and so, like, we just want you guys to be able to reflect on, like, what you're thankful for, like, with what the Lord has done. And so, like, you can either, like, put it up on the tree, or you can take time and, like, put it, take it home with you, and, like, reflect on that, like, during the week. Um, Yeah, and so it's, like, really up to you, and... Like, like Katie was saying, we just really want to encourage you guys to, especially like with families, with kids, like to do it with one another, um, like as a family and be like, okay, like what are we thankful for?